I'd tell you the details, but it sounded like I made them up. Your problem is you spent your whole life thinking there are rules. There aren't. Believing as I do, like the good Dr. King said, a man should be judged on the content of his character, not the color of his skin. Yeah, he's dead. You're gonna need a different quote. I just charged for parking. You think they're gonna ask questions when they come with their pitchforks and their torches? It's just a flight, it's awesome. We gotta go. You had a piece of pie like that since the Garden of Eden. Simply deliver a message when the time comes. Message? To who? To the wicked. We're very friendly people. No. It's not. Hello there, everybody, and welcome to yet another episode of Very Friendly People, the Fargo Character Analysis Podcast. I am, as always, your humble host, Thomas Potts, and I have a cookie here for anybody who can tell me who is my favourite co-host in the entire world. Yes, you, sir, right there. Um, um, is it Jack Breeden? No, no, it is not Jack Breeden. Oh, good. I'm joking. Oh, I wasn't. No, of course it is Jack Breeden. Hello. Would you like the cookie? Uh, yes, please. Nope, that's my cookie. Thank you. It has my name on it. Mm, All right, dick. (laughs) Jesus Christ, what a... a... (laughs) I I just wanted to do something a bit different, you know? You caught me by surprise and that's the best improv I could come up with. Some cockney I mean, orphan, an <laughs> audience of one cockney orphan fighting me over a cookie. I Jesus mean, Christ. It's kind of Dickensian, I liked it. Like, yeah, yeah, that kind of, what day is it? Oh, it's it's cookie day, sir. Cookie <laughs> day? Cookie day! <laughs> the ghost of cookies crumbled. <laughs> that really takes the biscuit. Oh, that's yeah. a, good, a good jape, sir. Don't, don't tell Chip me Chip off the jape. old block. Uh, hmm, yes. Well, anyway, back to poverty you go. Oh, all right. Off I go to the abattoir. Catch you later. <laughs> oh, all right. Wonderful. Um, so, yes, how are you doing, Thomas? Hopefully you're I- doing better than that Cockney orphan is. I can safely say I'm doing much better than a cookie-starved Cockney orphan, yes. Um, Wonderful. Doing quite well, actually, yes. Uh, especially since... Um, We've got a very interesting character to delve into today. One who hasn't mm. really been delved into much before. Would you say that's safe to say? I would, very much so. Uh, upon doing research for this episode and just my general uh, kind of perusing of, of Fargo content, just just to entertain myself, um, it's all very sort of villain-focused or Lester-focused or just theme-focused. There's not a lot about this character, um, so I'm very, very excited about today. Mm-hmm. Because today we are going to be looking at, I think it's safe to say, the hero of season one, that oh, being yeah. Molly Solverson. Mmm, runs in the family. 
that uh, that hero quality and what a hero she is she's great absolutely yes um and it's it's nice that we've had you know two episodes delving into quite dark materials with Lester and Lorne, and now we get to have a bit of a breath of fresh air with just a very sweet, very lovable character. Yeah, definitely. Um, she's got other shades to her. Not nothing as uh, malicious or horrifying as the other two. Um, she's definitely the most determined. Well. Yeah, yeah, I think Malvo and and Lester are, are pretty determined in in their schemes, but this character is definitely the embodiment of that constant determinate uh, uh, exploring of the truth. Mm, I think that's safe to say. Yes. Um, now, obviously, it's interesting to note that the the character is a once again a reimagining of one of the archetypes established in the Fargo movie and that this is very much a Marge Gunderson type character uh, although uh, differs from Marge in quite a lot of significant ways uh, for example uh, the actress Alison Tolman says that one perhaps the key difference between the two characters is that Marge is the chief whereas mm. Molly is just starting out as a deputy and is still struggling under the weight of her superiors who often think they know best but uh, don't usually <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and what a brilliant actress Alison Tolman is. She's phenomenal mm. in this show. Um, and this was her, her first kind of on-screen credit was Fargo. Yes, and it, it doesn't show because what I love about Alison Tolman's performance as Molly is that it would be so easy to try and do a more heightened performance to match the the Lester and the Lorne performances, which are a lot more intense. And th- th- I think mm. that's why those characters tend to stick more in the memory. And what Alison's able to do with Molly is be able to make the character subtle enough so that she doesn't steal the show, but mm. still gives the character enough weight for us as viewers, for her to earn our respect effectively and still be like, even though Lester and Lorne are interesting to watch, we recognise that this is the person who deserves to win. Absolutely. She's uh, approachable as as a character. You you like her instantly without her being um, over-the-top nice. She's certainly not kind of um, replacing Marge. Uh, mm. In the same, in, with that same energy and, and heightened way of, of of speaking, um, the the accent in particular is definitely dialed down uh, yeah. uh, for Molly. I mean, even the accent that Alison Tolman uses, it's a lot more subtle. It's a lot less pronounced than uh, Marge is done in the film. Mm, definitely, um, and even though it's a, a subtle performance and a, a subtle kind of character, it, it doesn't mean that she's forgettable. It doesn't mean she's kind of a pushover or uninteresting or, you know, we don't like, we don't dislike watching her kind of eagerly waiting for the next more interesting character to, to come along the next scene. Um, she's kind of the perfect foil for the Lester and the Malvos and, and that approach uh, being so, so far different um, while still being totally unique, separate from the Marge character, you know. Marge being the chief, there was an air of responsibility, like you were saying, and, and how Molly is a, is a mere deputy. Um, and so she kind of tackles with a lot more kind of workplace casual sexism than Marge ever did. Um, people talking down to her, discrediting her theories, um, and that kind of uh, weight on the shoulders of her, you know, her dad, Lou Solverson. 
who yes. is, is one of our particular favorites definitely a fan mm-hmm. favorite character for, for most viewers i think um so she definitely has that responsibility of of just her last name and the lineage that that came before her um and you feel that throughout the show you feel like she could easily crack a lot of people could could crack under the pressure but she never does I mean, you know, her name is Solverson, so naturally it's expected that she is going to solve the mystery. Well, exactly, exactly. And uh, no matter kind of the opinions of others, you know, Bill Oswald and um, Gus's chief, um, I can't remember his ben name Schmidt. Now. Ben Schmidt, that's it, yes, because he's in season two as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're very dismissive of her and her uh, seemingly crackpot theory. You know, she's kind of viewed as the flake if you know what I mean by by the flake, that kind of um, Fox Mulder, kind of tinfoil hat, you know, connecting the dots, you know, big big red uh, threads connecting pictures on a on a big wall in a in an apartment kind of thing, of being mm. like, oh, this is all connected, and the, the, this person's actually involved, and it goes all the way to the top, um, and of course she's right, she's right at every turn. I feel that, like, I remember because I was re-watching season one and I couldn't help but feel that Molly might be kind of an audience surrogate in that she is the one who was able to kind of piece everything together. And also, mm. um, well, I, I remember the, the scene where after the murder of um, Sam Hess and um, she takes a note of the way that he was killed and um, then realising who he is. And she quite excitedly says, you think this could be an organised crime thing? And I remember thinking, A, uh, as an audience member, you are kind of like, oh, yeah, I want this to be involved in, in something bigger. Yeah. And so there is this kind of almost not quite a bloodlust, but the fact that she is a cop from a small town where nothing ever happens. And then the possibility of this being something bigger uh, would naturally excite her. But also, B, she's Lou Solverson's daughter. He was the hero of Sioux Falls. She wants to have a shot at being able to take on the big bad guys, you know. Yep, she she too wants to, you know, battle mobsters under the light of a UFO. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the- yeah de- definite kind of weight f- from that on her shoulders. Yeah, definite, definite eagerness um, and a, a kind of eventual... Um, understanding of of the world i wouldn't say naive at first mm, i suppose maybe slightly suppose, more naive than she ultimately becomes i think definitely oh definitely she definitely learns a thing or two by the end of the first season um uh definitely kind of le- learns that just because you have all the right answers doesn't mean that people are going to listen and and just because um you made every correct uh possible move you could still fail Ultimately, that mm-hmm. seemingly your co-workers, your boss, friendly, nice, good people can just not help. That's you true, know, Bill, yeah. Bizzol, Bill Oswald in particular. Um, and which is kind of why I think she's definitely uh, gets drawn in with, with Gus when, when these two characters kind of uh, interact with each other. This, this guy is so finally... Cute. It really, yeah, that that kind of romance and love story is so. There's a danger there that it could be so over melodramatic, you know, frolicking on the fields, very you know, wavy hair in the wind. And it's or so could be, quiet. It's so, so quiet. So it's subtle. Li- it's just little details that just start like start this kind of budding romance. Yeah, it's natural. I mean, it's just a testament to the writing and and the and the acting from Alison and from uh, Colin Hanks. Yes. And it just feels so normal. 
they feel like so two totally normal and real human beings mm-hmm. slowly falling in love. Um, Again, it's that it's that Lynchian um, uh, Lynchian philosophy of you know using the the darkness and the evils in order to highlight the absolute beauty and simplicity of the mundane. Absolutely, absolutely, and uh, nothing shows the 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 weird um, duality of that of this show. Kind of like I'm kind of jumping straight to the end. I was going to mention the last scene of season one. Um, mm. I don't know if you want to get into that now or to perhaps discuss things that happened before. But um, I mean, we're not constrained by the, very true the, by the framework of time. Very true. No man could hold me. Not even you, Father Time. I'm going to talk about the end if I damn want to. Um, but the ending is is definitely. Um, if you're a fan of the film, you're going to see the parallel to the ending of the film. Um, yes. I remember I've, I've been doing some of the reading once again in my big book of Fargo. I bring out Good every lad. episode. Um, interview of Noah Hawley and uh, Alison kind of discussing the end. Um, and that kind of anxiety of going, well, everyone remembers the end of Fargo. It was such a weirdly simplistic and very normal scene of just this couple watching the TV. And then that's just how it ends. And everyone loves it. And that kind of responsibility for, for this character and for this show and this season to be like, God, how the hell do we end it? Um, and they do it in a in a pretty similar way. She hears about the death of Lester over the phone and there's no kind of discussions, no kind of scene of her weeping at the phone or you know smiling to the sky or jumping for joy. She just puts it down and gets back to her family. Um, yes, I remember the first time I ever saw that, and I was disappointed in the ending the first time I saw it. Interesting, because I've done some was... research on this, and a lot of people have said I've had mixed feelings. Yeah, yeah. What, yes. what, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I usually find that with uh, with Fargo, to be honest. The first time I watch it, I always think, when I come to the ending, I'm always like, what? And then I'll re-watch it, and I'll be like, I get it now. But mm. for me, you know, you know, Molly makes Lester her white whale in many ways. He's Absolutely. the key. He, he, you know, she hounds him, you know. And, um, I've heard some people say, like, quite unfairly, even though, you know, he's he's, he's guilty as sin, you know. Absolutely. Uh, even if, even characters know, in the show... We'll, exactly. We'll kind of, we'll, we'll say that you've gone too far. You know, Lester's a poor victim of this crime here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, but so also all the way through, you just you, because you are on her side, you're hoping you want to see her finally get Lester, and then for him at the end to just you know be chased by just random police officers and then you know crumble to his death into the the pond. Mm-hmm. And that, mm. so there's something so powerful about her picking up the phone. And like you say, she, she's not angry that she didn't get him. She doesn't cry. She just puts the phone down and she lets it go. And that, Absolutely. I think, speaks volumes about how much the character grows uh, and, throughout the show. Absolutely. And it's the difference between the, the battle of good and evil in that show. The fact that she can get so involved and let go and then have a happy, normal life, because that's the healthy thing to do. Comparatively mm-hmm. to, to Lester, he absolutely won't let things go. He's let things build up inside of him. A lot of resentment and anger and disappointment. And then he's built this new amazing life for himself, and he absolutely is clinging on for dear life at every possible moment. Um, so as he desperately tries to cling on for life and falls you know, beneath the ice, she just happily lets go and slouches back on the couch. 
it's like she's finally heeding her father's words. Like, Indeed. He's, he, he's been the hero cop and he's like, he's telling her, you know, this life is better, darling. You, you know, like, yep. and so all the way through again, she's like, oh, no, I'm going to I'm going to chase all the mobsters. I'm going to get the bad guys. I'm going to do it. But then yep. by the end, she's just like, you know, as long as justice is served, I don't need to be the hero because this is what real triumph over the darkness is it's being able to sit down with your family and watch tv together exactly um yeah so to be so involved in that and then to meet and then you know to have the disappointment of uh this this sort of workplace sexism and and people belittling you and you knowing that you're right you're absolutely correct in this case and then you to find someone that believes in your cause and you think, oh, things are going her way now. Things could be happening. Things are blossoming. And then it cuts to uh, one year later. And you go, wow, she's been waiting a year for this case to actually, you know, come to a close. It's like, oh, God damn, she's, she, you know, we don't see that year. But we could kind of pick up on the fact that, yeah, what's been replaced in her life is this blossoming romance. And she's now finally learning, okay, I now know what's important here. And then, of course the case picks back up and then she, you know, gets involved again. At the drop of a hat, yeah. She has a um, serial killer board all up with all yep. the red lines oh, yep. connecting everything. Absolutely. Very Fox Mulder. Very tinfoil hat. But she's right. She's absolutely adamant. She's got the evidence. And, you know, what's not to love about someone... It's weird. I was, I was thinking about this, about what her archetype is, that type of character... Because with Lester, his kind of journey throughout the show is one of change, certainly. Mm -hmm. Um, He goes from point A to point B. It's a big curve. I don't, you know, you could describe it in many ways. It could be a curve downwards. It could be a curve upwards. It could be a peaks and valleys kind of thing. Totally up to interpretation, but he definitely changes over the course of the whole show dramatically and drastically. But with Molly, you know, she, she grows in a way... But it's not one of those things where at the start she's a horrible person. She's damaged. You know, she she has to learn a lesson for herself. At the start, she's right. And it's that kind of um, almost... I don't know why I'm thinking of like this kind of Captain America kind of heroism of, of believing in goodness and always sticking to the truth and the pursuit of knowledge and the truth and justice um, without ever having to you know, compromise on on your morality or whatever. And her journey is kind of the world around her changing. Well, she does herself, of course, as you've mentioned previously. Um, It's just a weird uh, parallel journey that she has with Lester that she herself doesn't change, but the world around her has to change because she has been right this whole time. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I I've listened to people talk about uh, in the original film how Marge is technically the antagonist of the movie that the plot is actually being driven by William H Macy and you know Marge mm. is is practically the Terminator in that she yeah, is just absolutely. constantly you know constantly you know in pursuit of the truth and will eventually get there. Whereas with Molly, while that's still kind of true, and that Lester is the and Lorne are the drivers of the plot. She she has her own internal story going on at the same time in a way that Absolutely. I don't think Marge 
really did. Molly, I think, you know, does grow a lot more than than Marge does Mm. uh, in the film. And as a TV show, that's to be expected because you spend more time with these characters. You get a lot more um, to to learn about them as as people rather than just, um, you know, instruments of a plot. Um, So you get these little moments. Uh, Kind of like the... um, the do you remember the meeting that uh, M- Molly has with her friend in the restaurant? Yes, it's kind of a, a parallel to the uh, Mike uh, Yanagita scene in the movie. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. This is a scene that I have thought about endlessly because it, it just seems so bizarre. And the, the the Mike Yanagita film, like Noah Hawley, has said in interviews that it's almost a nonsensical and doesn't serve any purpose to the story. But I think in the original film, that scene definitely does have a purpose because Mm. that is the scene that kind of ultimately leads Marge to believe, you know, that she's been lied to and that she's able to have dinner with this this friend who just spouts absolute lies to her. And when that's revealed to her, that's what leads her to go back to question uh, Jerry. Jerry again. Mm. Whereas in the TV show, I feel that it is slightly more nonsensical. And I was wondering if you had uh, any insight as to what it might mean. Um, yeah. Oh, God, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to think of the scene desperately now uh, to, to jog my memory on, on any thoughts of that scene. Um, I think the closest that we get is that, because um, they're talking about um, a love life, uh, their love lives, because mm. I think this is before Molly meets Gus, and uh, her friend has been talking about it. She's had quite a few flings with these guys, and she mentions about one of um, the, her boyfriends has, like, uh, a strange growth in his neck, and then it turns out that um, some spiders had laid some eggs there, and these baby spiders oh, pop out. God, yes! Oh, yes. God, yeah! God, that scene and was hilarious. Yeah, it's I'm, so yeah. well played. Yeah, she's yeah. she's so funny. Yeah, as a one scene kind of yeah, she's great. Mm-hmm. But then later on, um, I know that Molly talks about uh, that conversation again, and she's mm. like, "I don't think I want to live in a world where that can happen to a person." Yeah, I think that scene, much like the scene um, from the film Fargo, um, in in which kind of Marge learns about essentially learns about lying and <laughs> learns that wow people in this quiet snowy town could just lie to my face even people i've i've known years ago and trusted and seemingly has no reason to lie and and then of course she goes back to jerry and i think with molly that one that one scene kind of illustrates her trajectory of kind of going wow this town is so boring and my dad's a hero and you know i'm just a deputy here i'm, I'm desperate for more responsibility wow, I finally got the case. You know, like you were saying earlier about her excitement, the potential of it being uh, linked to the uh, uh, Fargo crime syndicate. Mm -hmm. She's kind of learning at that point, wow, things can just happen out of nowhere. The world isn't a black and white place and perhaps justice might not arrive. Perhaps things will get in the way. Perhaps I could, you know, have an accident and Lester just gets away scot-free for the rest of days. Um, and that kind of fear, I think, grow, grows within her, and that frustration, definitely. She's having a worldview shaken, certainly. Um, but it's a testament to her character, the, a real strength to her. You know, that doesn't stop her, that doesn't put her off the case. Mm-hmm. Um, even, you know, if she's, she, she definitely has some peaks and valleys 
Um, she definitely goes to some some low places of. of I mean, frustration. my goodness, the the boy that she likes, who becomes like who's the only person who she trusts, ends up shooting yeah. her. I know, I know, obviously, but still, know, you know, I know. Absolutely, every turn, everything is is telling her no. Danger mm-hmm. is ahead. You need to stop. Um, and what does she do? You know, she the cops going. tell her. The cops tell her she's off the case. She questions Lester. She, t- you know, a friend tells her about the spider eggs. She continues with the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, her her love interest shoots her. So what does she do? She marries him. Yes, she knows, exactly. She she knows what she wants. It's the world. Talk about a shotgun her. wedding, am I right? Hey, exactly, exactly. <laughs> it, it, the world around her is 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 kind of working against her, and she pulls through. She perseveres, um, which is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, she's her father's daughter. Exactly, exactly. Um, and and kind of speaking on that, uh, Noah and Allison were talking in the book um, that the ending wanted to be so mundane, and there was talks about, ooh, season two, we could get the adventures of, of, of Gus and Molly again. And Noah was kind of mm-hmm. like, no, that kind of goes against the the whole thesis of the show, you know, this is the one weird case that happens in a person's life. If it happened, you know, once every year, you wouldn't believe it. It would just be so outlandish. Uh, Lou, you know, has the Sioux Falls massacre and the UFO. That's his one case. Mm-hmm. And he's never forgotten it. You know, he, he he briefly discusses it with Malvo, you know, in season one, uh, without dal- divulging too much. And this is her yes. case. She has this weird point in her life, and then afterwards, I think some people could certainly go, oh, so they go on and just have a, a normal life. That's a bit disappointing. But that's what she wants. She's, exactly. a, she's a person, a character, a woman, a police officer, a detective, a chief that knows what she wants. Mm-hmm. And she goes and flipping gets it. Hell Absolutely. yes. Absolutely. And speaking as, as well about her being um, Lou's daughter, there's uh, one very there was one parallel between them that I always find very fascinating. I, uh, when I was talking in the Malvo episode about the scene where Lou almost kind of baits Malvo out by talking about Sue Falls, in order mm. to kind of say like, no, I recognise you for what you are. There's quite a similar scene uh, where uh, Lester's just been interrogated, and when he's being let go. Molly tells Lester a riddle uh, about yes. about a man with a pair of gloves, mm. and uh, this this riddle isn't one that's based on logic. It's one that basically uh, it's a parable about empathy and it's a parable about just little acts of kindness. And Lester doesn't understand it. No, it's kind of a Rorschach test of a riddle. Yes. But then later on, you see Lester is able to answer the riddle that's based on logic, the rabbit, the cabbage and the fox. Mm. So immediately, Molly is able to say, no, I know that I'm right about you because you you don't understand emotion, Lester. You get cold logic. That is your world. That's how you see things. You see the world as a problem that needs to be solved instead of just being able to say, how can I leave this world a little bit better than than I was when I was in it? Yeah, yeah, from his from his dog eat dog mentality, that kind of survival over everything else. Um, Molly has a a higher calling, a higher purpose, I suppose. Mm-hmm. You know, she she has a, a loving family, 
uh, one with her family, uh, one with her dad, uh, and then she builds a new family. Uh, you know, with a, a, a stepdaughter and a husband and a baby on the way. She um, builds friendships. She builds a career. She builds the truth. She builds justice. She she you know is is kind of the the moral high point of season one of of things that are important and it's not grandiose either you know she isn't a saint uh, in, entirely um she's not a a, a beacon a pinnacle a, a monolith of of morality and, and goodness um she's just a a pretty normal human being um absolutely which i think the uh allison portrays perfectly such a subtle wonderful performance um, that could be hilarious and could be heartbreaking, um, and yeah, such a good character to have as the um, audience. Uh, God, what's the phrase that you surrogate. mentioned earlier? The audience surrogate. Thank you. Um, to have someone that's just so, you know, has aspirations that are attainable and are humble, humble especially. Yes, is is the key word with with her. Um, her dad especially was was humble in, in season two there's a lot of egos going around and especially in this one um and and kind of uh, high strung paranoia with bill oswalt she she maintains a level head a good choice to be chief she is she would have had my vote well i mean Vern says that from the very beginning and we haven't actually talked about Vern yet have we uh, no we haven't i was i was waiting to discuss him yeah yeah mm. um because he's kind almost- of Sorry, go on, go on. Well, I was going to say, like, you know, I'd almost say we could do an episode on him, but to be honest, he he's not in the show long enough to really uh, warrant an episode, I would say. Um, Definitely, but, um, yeah. Because he's, he's set up to be the hero uh, from the very beginning. He he is, mm. you know, the, the, all of the Marge par- parallels are sort of um, brought up around him at the very beginning with regards to his pregnant wife. He... All, yeah. he has like lo- the same lines of dialogue and everything. Uh, I-, I actually love yeah. the bit the first time that we see Molly and he's able. To- he's doing all. The- he's doing a lot of the work and she's she's done quite a lot of it, but she's missed a few things. And when he points it out to her, she's like, "Oh, can't believe I missed the deer in the trunk." And he's like, "Don't worry about it." And I- again, going back to that humility thing, she wants to. She wants to do as best as she can, and she kind of beats herself up a little bit when she's not able to mm. perform at the level that she feels that that she's able to. Um she's not ego driven. That's that definitely she's willing to learn and to make mistakes and learn from those mistakes. Mm-hmm. Unlike Lester but, who's constantly trying to cover up his mistakes. Exactly, yes. And uh, and Vern from the very beginning is able to recognize, you know, Bill cleans out his gun with bubble bath, the chief is going to be you. And um yeah. That, that that makes it all the more painful. And uh, again, this is something else that probably motivates this determination is that she she loses a mentor. She loses a friend at the very beginning. Absolutely. And there's a good parallel with her being the audi- audience uh, surrogate. You know, you, you as an audience believe that he's going to be the main character and she's maybe the, the, the sidekick. Or yes. she, she's also part of his storyline. Um, uh, and then... Much like to our surprise, seemingly a main character candidate is killed off in the first episode, and she certainly has that same reaction in obviously a different way. Because obviously for her, it's it's real, 
Um, but it's this, wow, this main figure, this role model and teacher, kind of paternal figure, you know, having a a, a cop father and kind of being under the wing of of the another cop. Um, and then to lose that, she's kind of uh, almost lost in the beginning and is having to quickly cling on to something for dear life so that she stays afloat. Um, and she does. One thing I've noticed, actually, is that um, because Vern is obviously given these strong parallels to Marge through his yeah. um, pregnant wife in particular, and I've just noticed Molly's dad is called Lou, who was the name of the goofy sidekick to Marge in the movie. So that's oh, another wow. kind of that's another kind of um, way that the movie's kind of sh- the sorry the show is kind of showcasing that no Molly is going to be the sidekick. And so yeah. then when the hero is you know effectively like a rug ripped out from underneath our feet, everything goes mm. topsy turvy again. Malvo is the alien element that invades the movie, changes yep. the order of things, and forces the sidekick to step up. He, he, Malvo is the boil full of spiders, and mm-hmm. now she's covered in them and has to, you know, clean them up. Yes, absolutely. And uh, yeah, yeah, we can we can discuss Vern and his wife because I think there's not enough for for a future episode. We, we never know. We we might record them um, at some point in the future. Never Definitely. say never. Yeah, never say never. Never say never. Um, but we could discuss him here. Um, yeah, because he's got a wonderful motif. With the paint cans, yes, that definitely goodness. that definitely sets you up thinking he, he's going to be he's going to have a big character arc throughout the show about you know his home life and his family, um, with him painting his his new baby's room and that heartbreaking shot of of his wife opening the door for for Molly to be on the driveway with the paint cans in hand, mm. that that is is definitely the the the, the visual rep- the the shot. I would say that um, kind of uh, shows you what her character is about. She's picking up the pieces of of a strange event in her life, and is fixing it. Yes, she's she's taking the paint cans home. Um, and I, I don't think does she she doesn't paint the room, does she? I'm trying I'm... to remember. There's another there's another scene of her. And the widow, yeah, there's another thing of her and the widow um, having a conversation, isn't there? I think she's just washing the dishes. Yes, yeah, and they have a good little scene of of um, her kind of saying, yeah, you know, Vern was a big fan of yours, and you know, you should be, you know, you should be the chief, you should be in charge here, mm-hmm. um, because you've got a real good, steady head on your shoulders, and look at all these, you know, middle-aged men bumbling around with <laughs> gun-shaped cakes. Um, <laughs> You know, uh, and that kind of brings on a, a, a point. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if this is a, appropriate for this kind of show, but um, doing mm-hmm. a lot of, re- of research, and with it being a, a female character, a lot of the research that I've done, a lot of reviews have been a lot about the gender politics of the show mm. and of the character. And you know, I'm aware of the irony of two white men coming onto a podcast and going, let's talk about the gender relations of a TV show. These mm-hmm. women. And it's like, right, you know, we've got no authority on the matter. We've got, you know, um, we may have an opinion, but who doesn't? You know what exactly, I mean? Exactly, yeah. That's um, all it is. Just a, just a, just a perspective. We have yeah, eyes. Absolutely. I, I like to think we have, we have quite a, an open mind, obviously. Quite yeah. a, a, we've got a good 
um, opinion on diversity, on on female representation, on uh, sexism within cinema. You know, I, I'm definitely not the first person to say that certain characters <laughs> in certain films who are women are not particularly um, very feminist. You know, you know mm, what I mean? Absolutely. Um, I'm doing a lot of research on this. Molly, weirdly enough, is a is a mixed bag. I've yes. Heard. Um, I I read a review from 2014, so this would be when the first season was was showing, and they were discussing the parallels of Molly and Marge, and them kind of going. Uh, it was quite a long article, and they discussed that Marge. Yeah, Marge is a, is a pretty good for female representation. Um, it, you know, she she's got um, she's a strong character. She doesn't always talk about. Uh, men all the time she's not a a stereotype Um, and her journey is her own and she has certain male characters who come into her storyline and help her out Mm -hmm. um, rather than the other way around that you'll have you know a fridged uh, love interest who's been killed off before the the movie starts so the man is a quest for revenge or you know and so Marge is definitely the main focus she does all the stuff that a hero should do and they were kind of saying that Molly doesn't that she doesn't get Lester in the end. She doesn't get Malvo in the end, but instead it's the seemingly, you know, pathetic kind of puppy-eyed uh, Gus that gets Malvo in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and she ends up falling in love with a man and being pregnant and that kind of thing. And I can understand why certain people would go, yeah, that's a bit unfortunate. Um, But I think, and again... No authority here. Um, but I think there is a lot in the show that, that shows her as a character with, with strength. I think I think certain people are a little too harsh on this character, I think. I would um, totally agree, yes. I would say that, like, almost Marge, yes, it f- fits the, the, the kind of role of a, you know, a feminist heroic figure. But mm. as a result, doesn't have as nearly as much actual character Definitely, Again, Mo- yes. Molly. Molly feels real. Molly, probably, maybe more so than any other character, and certainly in season one, mm. she, you know, she is just trying to get by, and definitely, ultimately, she's like, you know, there is a sense of her maybe trying to be more of that kind of dare I say, kind of tick box feminist hero of like when her dad says mm. one day you're going to get married and she kind of shrugs it off and she's like, oh, dad, come on. I want to be a cop like you. I want to do you what know, you I'm, do. I'm 30 years old. I carry a gun. Yes, that's exactly. What, that's what she says, you know. Um, yeah, because Marge is a character and mm-hmm. I think Molly has character. And that's not me yes. saying, oh, Mar- Marge is one dimensional. Frances McDormand is fantastic. Marge is such, is such a good protagonist. I mean, it's it won a damn Oscar. It's such a good role, such a good performance. Um, but yeah, and I think Molly being the audience surrogate, perhaps her falling in love, meeting meeting a boy in the family, but meeting meeting you know meeting the boy, he already has a a daughter, and so it isn't kind of your typical you know these are twenty-something-year-old supermodels who, you know, fall in love with another twenty-year-old supermodel, and that you know, you're watching it going. They're acting as real people, but these guys are definite Hollywood movie stars. Mm-hmm. Um, but with this show, you go, yeah, this is this is pretty real. I know people like this. It's very subtle, and this little little uh, 
hints of romance here or there that you, that perhaps the listeners out there will, will sort of feel and go, oh yeah, I, I, I remember stuff like this when I first started dating so-and-so. It, you know, you don't have the answers all right away. Um, and what's great is that they ultimately bond, you know, that, that their first interactions are all bonding over, you know, trying to find the truth. You know, it, it's because absolutely. he goes in and says, um, looking into the Lester Nygaard case, and that's what makes Molly turn around, because otherwise yeah. he may have been with an entirely different police officer. But it's the Definitely. fact that, they are, that she recognises, this guy knows what's up. This guy is following the same leads that I am. And yeah, yeah. and and ultimately, you know, that very practical working relationship blossoms into something more. Absolutely, and uh, you know, she she isn't there. She doesn't fall in love with him just because you know he's hot and attractive. She she isn't there constantly pining for a man, you know, or for or for a boyfriend or whatever. It's because, like real people, they have a shared interest. Exactly, and they fall in love with that interest and eventually fall in love with each other um and she becomes a part of his family and he becomes a part of her family they're kind of not very typical families either you know a a, a single dad with a, a tomboy uh teenage daughter and her on her own just with a grizzled cock dad <laughs> and the relationship of of lou and his and his newly found granddaughter is is, is wonderful oh. So it's wonderful. amazing. Um, but we'll talk about that in, in the Lou episode. Talk about that in the Lou episode. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah. So I, I was wondering if you had any, any. I, I don't think you would, but any criticisms of Molly as a character? Um, and I suppose I should say we we didn't do this for the Lester one. And we mm. didn't do this for the Malva one. and I kind of Because just... they're bad guys, so we've got a lot of criticisms. We're like, exactly. well, I, wouldn't, I would rather exactly. not do that if I were them. Exactly, exactly. I wouldn't kill my wife, you know? Yeah, so you can, <laughs> you can brush them over with a, big, with a bigger brush and kind of go, yep, there we go, I know my opinions on that. Um, mm-hmm. But I kind, of, I kind of feel it's important in, in this kind of discourse today to kind of go, yeah, it's a bit strange we're discussing this with the female character. You know what I mean? We didn't go, well, Lester is... It? Well, I suppose, yeah. Uh, yeah, we didn't go, well, Lester's your, you know, your typical man character. What's the gender politics of this? We did a little bit with him kind of wanting to man up and the toxic element of that, because that's in the text, definitely. Mm-hmm. And there is stuff with, with Molly and her gender in the text, um, her look, being looked down upon and even some subtle sexism with a dad, being like you said, being like, "Wait, when you get married and have children and all that, it's kind of very mm-hmm. presuming." Um, so I was wondering I would if almost, you had any. Sorry, well, on, yeah. sorry, I would almost challenge the whole, and this might be slightly going into if we do a Bill Oswald um, episode, because mm. uh, I, I, I remember watching um, the show with one of my friends, and they were like, "Oh, I just can't watch another show where the female cop gets looked down upon because she's female." Mm. I would I would go so far as to say is that's maybe part of the reason, but I wouldn't say it's the main reason why... It's not the whole picture. ...why Bill uh, specifically looks down on her. I think that... Definitely. D- shall, shall I go into this now, Jack? Shall I... Absolutely. Please do. Yeah. Please do. It's the reason I... why we're recording the bloody thing. It's true. It's very true. <laughs> I would say that Bill's reason for saying, you know, you need to leave Lester alone, it's less to do with the fact that, oh, it's just a girl. I think it's more his philosophy is that... You know, this is a place where people don't do this. 
A man yeah. doesn't go home and murder his wife. That's why he's yeah. saying it's a drifter. It's somebody from the outside of town. They must yes. have came here and done this. And, you know, there's the bit where, like, he, he ultimately, you know, he admits he was wrong. And he says, like, mm. you know, I, I used to think I knew what the world was. But now, kind of in the same way that, kind of similar way to Molly, I suppose, you know, realizing Absolutely is. how, you know, there is a lot of ugliness out there. And sometimes... Mm. That just because the the answer it's not the answer that you like doesn't mean that it's not the not the right answer. Yeah, they, they kind of go through the same arc, but Molly, um, I don't know about completes it, but she definitely goes through more of the motions in the first episode than than he does. He kind of only gets to that point right at the end mm-hmm. um, of that. Wow, this the world actually isn't how I once thought, and it is a much scarier place. Um, and yeah, you're right. It's definitely not a kind of you're just a, a dumb girl. What do you know about policing? Um, you know, she's fairly well liked at, at the start by a, a lot of police officers. Yeah. Um, you know, and and it's definitely more through paranoia that Bill dismisses her. He's definitely believes that good is good and bad is bad. I've known Lester. I've known Lester as a kid. He's one of the good ones. Exactly. But he says, and, you know, oh, Lester, you know, he he fainted when he had to dissect a frog. He couldn't exactly. bash someone's brains in. Exactly. And her having the influence of her dad um, and her mum. I can't believe I haven't even talked about uh, uh, Betsy. Oh, Betsy Salverson. Oh, my goodness. Uh, you know, having such a strong role model for such a short amount of time, you know, losing a mother at a pretty young age. Um I think in season two, it's revealed that she uh, perhaps graduates college, I think. And that's close to the time that, that she passes away. Um, so, you know, she's either just just becoming an adult, which is pretty damn young to, for something like that to happen. Um, and her dad, of course, having the, probably the, the greatest war story of them all. Well, having literal war stories, but also having this weird crime syndicate alien war story. Yes. You know, so she's been uh, exposed to certain things without physically being exposed and seeing it firsthand. So she's certainly more prepared than Bill is. Um, so yeah, you're right. It's definitely not a, a one-stroke. Oh, she's suffering. She has to overcome sexism in the thing. It's definitely um, a smorgasbord, a, a, a broad palette of reasons that kind of uh, her arc begins with. For anybody uh, angry at the fact that we haven't mentioned Betsy Solverson, Betsy Solverson is probably my favourite character in season two, so I want to save everything for that episode because I love yes. Betsy so yes. much. Apps. Oh, God. So, so, so good. And I can't believe... Yeah, I can't believe I'm watching season two that when I watched season one, I paid kind of no no mind, no thought to like, oh, I wonder what her mother was like. Mm-hmm. And then we get to season two and you go, wow, she's like the best character in this season. Unbelievably would, good. Would you say that season two, in much the same way that season four is, uh, spoilers for season four, uh, kind of Mike Milligan's origin story, would you say that mm. season two is sort of Molly's origin story? Absolutely would. I absolutely would say so. Um, especially with kind of Betsy's weird visions and premonitions of the future. You know, mm. we, we we even see Gus, you know, and and that and, her, and Molly's new family around the table, um, for for a brief scene, uh, where she glimpses into the future, um, yeah, and and talking on season two and three, I think a lot of people have pro- 
or the people I looked at through my research who kind of felt Molly perhaps isn't the strongest female character or female characters within fiction. They kind of looked at other female characters within season one and they're certainly more passive. Or if they're more passive, they're kind of definitely relegated to they're an interesting character, but their purpose within the story is the um, side kick or side mm. character that influences the male storyline. Lester's wife, uh, Linda, uh, Sam, uh, um, uh, Mrs. Hess. Yes. You know, they kind of all are a part of Lester's story. Um, but I I'd think you get, fair, to, yeah. you get to season two and season three and you you definitely get you know some of the, probably some of the greatest female characters definitely Amen. my my favorite female protagonists um with um Gloria uh, and Peggy uh Nikki such different characters as well so mm-hmm. so you know they're not with with that sh- with this show they're definitely not going let's make her strong by making her like a man where she kicks ass and has a gun and kind of takes no shit you know they're not going that uh, kind of forced approach mm-hmm. you know Peggy and Molly and Gloria are all so different and have so many different arcs um, which just goes to show that in my humble opinion and looking at the writing and what there is on the page and interviews um I think she's just such a strong character regardless of, of gender, but her gender does play into her character, which I think is, is good um, from an audience perspective. I totally agree, yes. So we've uh, talked a bit lot about uh, Molly's gender. What about Molly's species? Mmm. That's right, Jack. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? I think it's that time again, my friend. I think it's time once again for No Saints in the Animal Kingdom. This is the part of the show where we rank the character we've been talking about on the animal food chain and try and associate them with a kind of uh, animal, like a spirit animal almost, I suppose you'd say. Yeah, def- yeah, spirit animal, definitely. Um, mm. I was doing a bit of research. I'm going to be saying that. I, I feel like I've said that a thousand <laughs> times this episode. I've done, I've Stop done the analysis. Stop showing off all the homework you've been doing, Jack. <laughs> That's right, I read an article. I'm a new age man. Uh, <laughs> pushes up glasses. Um, but I was doing a little bit of research and, and watching the uh, Koi Dragon video by Leadhead that we discussed, I think, last episode. Yes. Um, she had done a, a Fargo episode uh, a number of years ago. Um, and she touched upon how a lot of the characters have spirit animals and literally said yeah i i, I went in her research god i'm even talking about other people's research bloody hell oh and she was saying I, you know i looked at spirit animal something something.com to see what the representation is of, of of people in the show um yeah i think spirit animals the perfect way to describe what we're doing in, in this segment yeah okay um and in that video uh she said with the solversons there's a lot of bird imagery Mm, yes, um, in in set dressing um, within the um, Lou's cafe, you'd call that cafe restaurant. Yeah, Lou's uh, yeah Lou's cafe. I'd say uh, there's a lot of ducks on the wall, and there's a lot yes. of uh, pheasants behind Molly in a lot of shots, and that kind of animal represents you know kind of patience. Um, uh, certainly, comparatively to you know being a sheep or being a wolf, they're, they're drastically different animals. 
um, and kind of my. I'm sorry, I'm kind of jumping into to my. Uh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Opinion then. first. Uh, well, well, thank you, thank you. And I thought about this, and it's such a weird thought to have had. But I watched a video on Twitter that has nothing to do with Fargo. This isn't mm-hmm. research, but it ended up kind of sparking it. I watched a video of a hen, uh, uh, a chicken, uh, defending a bunch of eggs from a snake. Like, literally, you know, puffing its feathers and kicking this this snake that's slithering in to try and eat, eat her eggs. And I thought, that's such a good... Wow, that could, that could be Molly. I could see that. And especially look at that video and them saying, yeah, with the ducks and pheasants. Okay, there's some bird connection here going on. Um, more surface level, I thought perhaps owl. They represent knowledge and truth. Mm-hmm. Um, the they, owls are not what they seem, Jack. They're not what they The owls are not what they seem. Uh, you know, and, and being um, these kind of uh, images of, of wise and research and academics... Um, and of course, can spin the heads the whole three sixty. They can see the full picture, quite literally. Um, but I think hen is kind of what I I, I was drawn to, um, and I think people listening to this may be going, yeah, okay, I could see that you discuss a lot about gender politics, and you, we've kind I've kind of gone with quite a a feminine kind of animal hmm. or spirit animal there and that wasn't by by choice um of course this is a humble opinion um and i'm sure you're gonna have a much better <laughs> much better interpretation people out there are gonna draw their own conclusions which are, are way more in depth see i um, i actually loved that image that you conjured oh, well, thank there. You. i think it's i think it's beautiful actually yeah yeah just that video i was like yeah because at the end she does form her own nest her own family. Yeah, exactly. And of course, the, the egg, the egg image of you know, she literally becomes pregnant at the end. Exactly. Um, yeah. And she, and she takes a you know a a, a rooster uh, in in the hen house with her and and a, a new and a not so newborn chicken with her to create their own little little happy family nest. Oh, that's um, so cool. And of course, Malvo representing the snake. Yeah. Or perhaps perhaps being like the fox who's trying to get into the 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 hen house. The hen house. She's kind of. She's kind of the the chief chicken in charge, kind of keeping all the other fucking chief birds. Chief chicken, yes. Chief chicken in charge, keeping all the flapping birds calm and keeping your level chief head. Chief chicken free. in charge, now on NBC. <laughs> this summer, chief chicken in charge. Oh my goodness, I want to see a poultry-led police procedural <laughs> get, drama now. Get ready for some Kentucky Fried Justice. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and Tell Colonel ch- Sanders I said hi. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it, Jack. And we need to write this, man. We do. We do need to write this. This weird fan fiction <laughs> or weird chicken procedural. Um, and oh, we're both wow. Chicken Run fans. Exactly. Uh, we love Chicken Run, and she's definitely. Um, uh, oh god, ginger, isn't it? Ginger, yeah. She's definitely the ginger kind of. She's seen the whole picture, and everyone around her is telling you, "No, stay, stay in your place, stay in your position. Everything you think is just the way it is, but the world is different, and she can change it." Um, and of course, you know, like that video, literally fighting. You know, she has a she has a a, a gun battle in a blizzard. Like, how badass is that? 
Um, yeah, so uh, a hen is kind of where I, I'd drawn upon. I didn't want it to to seem as a kind of a, a boring answer. Kind of, oh, a hen, because she's, you know, she's a woman and she has a family and quite maternal figure in a lot of ways. But, but after watching that video, I'm like, oh, yeah, there's a lot of sides to a hen. There's a lot of there's a lot of things that could be uh, interpreted. Um, Mate, you've created yeah. an entire spin-off TV show off that is not boring. I've man. That was created great. an entire law and world of this weird uh, inner city uh, Kentucky police drama. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man, I can't. How do I follow that? Um, <laughs> by creating your own police drama. <laughs> Darn it, I can't do that. But I can continue my Tom and Jerry metaphor, I'm happy to say. Oh, wonderful. Oh, that yes, is a I surprise. Was, oh, hey. I was so happy about this. Um, I, I think you can almost kind of deduce what I'm going to say now, can't you? Perhaps, perhaps. But but I, I, want, <laughs> I, I want you to say it before I say it, because I may be wrong. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say that uh, Molly is very much a police dog. Um, yes. She, yes. Yeah. She she is the one who you know is <laughs> trying to keep the the cats in check. Uh, also, that there's something about the kind of loyalty that she had with Vern that kind of mm. at the beginning of her journey kind of reminded me of sort of like a little puppy dog. Uh, but then mm. you see her like grow and become more confident and become more of the hunter, and she's able to kind of again she she smells something on Lester. And that's what means means that she, you know, pardon yeah. the pun, dogs him constantly. You know, hey. even showing up at the the pharmacy while he's getting the the unguent. Mm. Like he, 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 she has bitten onto the the bone that is the truth, and she will not let that bone go for anything. <gasps> if 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 she was in Zootopia, she would be a, a police dog that literally sniffs crime. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, I, I did have this same thought. Yeah, of 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 perhaps the police, the canine, the the police dog, um, and and Gus also perhaps being a, a dog, but kind of the more puppy angle. Yes. You know, the kind of forlorn, lo- uh, little more cowardly, while while Molly's certainly more the kind of rigid, can sniff the truth. Um, and like we discussed with the Malvoir episode, you know, dogs can smell danger. They they bark at the sight of terminators. <laughs> um, and, and Molly definitely does that with yes. this Terminator very much so again she she's the one who's barking saying no this, this is the bad guy and everyone around is like ah calm down calm down absolutely absolutely yeah police dog that's <laughs> I'm just getting images <laughs> of this weird Zootopia cop drama in my mind it's gonna happen man <laughs> Um, and I suppose there's another parallel with her being a police dog if Malvo's the wolf, isn't there? Very much so, yeah. You've got um, the, you've got the ra- to bring in another cartoon. You've got Ralph the wolf and uh, Sheepdog Sam. Absolutely, yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If if Malvo's certainly the more feral, uh, wilderness, you know, um, eats to survive and very uh, bleak and logical kind of base world world view uh her is a kind of more i don't want to say domesticated dog mm. um but uh certainly a dog that you know has a, has a job like many dogs do um has a wide range of emotions like dogs do you know they'll 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 
bark at the sense of danger, but they'll also, you know, can portray happiness. They can have empathy with people. They can connect with other dogs, but aren't afraid to bite and bark and shout and chase when danger's there. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Wonderful. Um, yeah. Any other thoughts? Any other animals that uh, you think what? Molly could be embodying? I didn't have much basis for this one, but um, it took me ages to think of this one. I was really struggling with Molly. Thinking, mm. What on earth kind of animal is she? The first animal that came to mind was actually a bear. Interesting. I'm not sure why. I guess, like, you know, there's this kind of, there's a fierceness about them, but also a sense of kind of patience. You know, they can move quite slowly. And Absolutely. I guess also the the idea of kind of, a you know, a mother bear protecting her young as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And I suppose bears fit in with the whole Fargo um, setting anyway, you know, as, as mm-hmm. a, uh, a um, what's the word I'm looking for? I suppose an animal that can, you know, survive in the, the harsh environments. Um, yes. But also, you know, goes into a cave and, and hibernates and has little little cubs. As a, watches a good TV. <laughs> and watches TV, yes. Um. <laughs> watches Yogi Bear. <laughs> <laughs> hey, boo-boo, we've committed a grave crime. <laughs> I, well, she I'm is smarter pitch- than the average bear. She- <laughs> oh, you are... You're a quick one. You are a quick uh, one, Thomas Potts. I try. Um, I try. And uh, patience, I think, there is is a word you've just picked up on. Um, mm. For some reason, I thought elephant as well. Oh, my the goodness, ca- yeah. But, and but she I never spoke, forgets. Exactly. That's kind of the only thing I've I've got for it, really. But um, uh, And all these animals, you know, the bear, the dog, the hen, the elephant, there is a, a patience to them. Um, like you said, with 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 bears, they can be patient and wait out when hunting, but also hibernate for a long time. With the chicken, the hen, their patience of of protecting their eggs and building their nests. Their dogs have have patience again with hunting, but also can, you know, like a good police dog can can sit and and wait and prepare and also you know um, sense danger and, and and bide their time in case an intruder comes through the door. Um, and an elephant being quite a slow moving animal I suppose is and living a long time there's an element of patience uh, with that animal as well mm. well we'll leave it up to you dear listener as to which animal you think suits Molly Salverson best and mm. um, let, yeah, let us know on um, our Facebook group or Twitter uh, what animals you think uh, might suit these characters best yes please give us validation over our, our choices that we've made with this, with this show. Yes. <laughs> Please, there has to be someone else out there, someone that <laughs> that agrees with us or, or uh, thinks the same way in terms of this animal approach. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, thank you for everyone that's, that's listened so far. Thank the you response, so much. The response has been amazing. I thought maybe we'd get, you know, one or two listens per episode. Um, but we've been getting a, a, a wide range of people engaging with it, which is l- so lovely to see. It is. Um, uh, I, I, we got someone on our Facebook page from Minnesota. Did you see that? I think you responded to them, didn't you? 
I did, yes. That I mean, that is so cool, considering that we, you know, I, I've never been to America. I know you've been to America, Jack. Have you ever mm. been to the, the Midwest before? No, I, I've only been to L.A., Vegas, and uh, Yosemite. Um, so never Minnesota, never Fargo, never, you know, the proper north or the east or, or the Midwest or anything. So the fact that this has been able to reach that far is literally yeah. beyond my wildest dreams so thank and, you so much you know within the realms of fargo essentially within that 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 area as well i, I was surprised so cool. i was like oh is this someone i know like oh i do recognize the name so I, I i did a little snooping and i was like oh not a friend of of thomas's either oh my god this is a stranger holy Man. shit <laughs> 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 and and i've done some st- little uh analytics online on on our um because we're on Apple Podcasts now, that was all. Yes, we are. We're starting this podcast, but we're there now, and we've had, you know, a listener in in India, in China, in South America, oh my in, goodness, in Europe, and all over America and and, and America um, uh, and England. Um, so thank you, generally from the bottom of my heart. Thank you and so mine. much. Thank and, you. Yeah, yeah, Thomas is here as well, I guess. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he's not as yeah, appreciative do, as do I what you am. want, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> no, I honestly. Know. I mean, especially considering, you know, we, we, we did this literally as a, as a way to just sort of talk about a show that we love and the fact that you guys are yeah, taking the time out to listen to it and it, it, mm. it's honestly words fail. Thank you so much. And and you know what? Thank you, Thomas. You're you're a good soul, and this well, was such a good you, idea Jack. for for starting this podcast and inviting me along to be your uh, your 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 co-host. I wouldn't have it any other way, mate. Bless you, bless you. <laughs> okay, so I think that's going to do us for this episode of Very Friendly People. Thank you so much for Indeed. listening. Uh, as always, thank you so much to George Matthew for the incredible theme tune that he's that he's done for us. Yes, and thank you for for uh, thank you to Dan Reese for our wonderful artwork once again. Um, their uh, links will be all over Facebook. Uh, you can find them on Instagram. They do uh, loads of wonderful artworks. I have dotted around my own place here. So uh, give the, give those to all the all the all the success that they deserve. I think the, uh, I think the next episode we should do Gus. I don't know what you do. You think, Jack? I think, yes. I think, well, the first two we did Lester and Lorne as the, the iconic duo. And I think we have to do a, another iconic duo. We have to do Molly and Gus. So I think Gus Grimley will be up next. Absolutely. Again, thank you so much for listening. And as always, wrap up warm. It's cold out there. Oh, yeah. Ooh, betcha. <laughs> <laughs>